Auto Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home as always. Come on in, take off your skin and rattle around in your bones. Hey, uh, thanks uh, uh, once again to WILP 1050 AM in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin, which is really part of the greater Chicago uh, market, uh, for adding us to your roster. And uh, add WILP 1050 AM to our uh, list of our growing list of affiliates. And uh, as I say, part of the greater Chicago market. So the conspiracy show now slowly starting to work its way into some of the major urban centers in the United States. And uh, a big thanks to uh, Chris Whitting and his team at Syndication Networks for the great job they're doing in building our our little uh, burgeoning conspiracy show network here. As I say, about 30 markets now in the U.S. and growing. Just a reminder, we are live streaming this on YouTube as a Hangout on air. And if you want to watch the live stream, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. And uh, scroll down, uh, actually I think it's right at the top of the, uh, of the, uh, the Twitter feed. And uh, the, the, the tweet there contains the link to the live YouTube stream. You just click on it and voila, you are there. If you want to check out the archived stream later... You can go to uh, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And uh, we've got a YouTube channel there, and you can watch the, the archived live stream. Last Sunday, after my Follow the Truth conference, uh, Dr. Douglas Cottrell, uh, the man with X-ray eyes, Canada's Edgar Casey, a good friend of mine, we went down to um, down the street from the Regent Theater in, uh, in Oshawa uh, for dinner. And... Uh, we ended up at a, an Irish pub called Riley's, and I must say, for an Irish pub, they make a pretty fine gyros. Uh, lamb. Man. Succulent, lip-smacking lamb gyro. Who would have thought of it? Uh, anyway, uh, Oshawa, if you've not been, it's a, it's a, a university, uh, college town. It's really, m- you know, moving in a different direction. It's not just, uh, you know, about cars anymore. And uh, so while we were there having our uh, dinner, there was quite a few students hanging out uh, at the pub, and someone in the booth next to us pulls out a deck of tarot cards. And I have to tell you, I know next to nothing about the tarot. A truth be told, uh, a little wary of tools of divination. You know, I, I think I've stated it publicly on the air. I, I, uh, I, I avoid, even as a youth, I didn't mess around with the Ouija board. Uh, and I had friends, I used to work on the road with, uh, for an engineering uh, company, and a good friend of mine, Bill Guscott, Bill, if you're listening, hello, it's been too long, get in touch, uh, but uh, uh, Bill and I were roommates on the road, and he, as I recall, was pretty uh, heavily into the tarot. And all I remember is, you know, these enigmatic pictograms on the cards, and, you know, you're, you're familiar with some of the more common ones, the juggler, the hanged man, death, of course, uh, and uh, some of you may use the tarot as a tool of divination. Some of you may be wary of the tarot's roots in the occult, and maybe you uh, you just avoid the tarot. I don't know, but regardless of how you approach the subject, I felt it was high time uh, that we discussed tarots on the program, the tarot. And, and my guest tonight, well, let's just say we go right to the top. We always aim to get the most qualified, the most esteemed experts on the program, and when it comes to understanding the tarot, few are more qualified to discuss than Rachel Pollock, who is considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the modern interpretation of the tarot. She's also a poet, an award-winning novelist, 
and a tarot and comic book artist. She's published uh, 12 books on the tarot, including the seminal work 78 Degrees of Wisdom, which is considered a modern classic, and the Bible of tarot reading, if I can use those two terms in the same sentence, or those two words, Bible and tarot. Uh, it's a marriage of common sense, wide-ranging knowledge, and esoteric aw- awareness has inspired many tens of thousands of readers worldwide to a deeper knowledge of the tarot. She's a member of the American Tarot Association, the International Tarot Society, and the Tarot Guild of Australia. With fellow tarot author Mary Greer, Rachel has taught at the famed Omega Institute for the past 15 years. She's been conferred the title of Tarot Grand Master by the Tarot Certification Board, an independent body located in Las Vegas, Nevada, as a fiction writer. Rachel has been bestowed many honors and awards, among them the famed Arthur C. Clarke Award for Science Fiction for Unquenchable Fire and the World Fantasy Award for Godmother Night. She's a recommended member of Penn International and has written for numerous publications. My, my, we are in good hands tonight. Rachel, welcome aboard The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I am great. Thank you. It was a wonderful introduction. Can you give me a complete neophyte in this area, a five-minute crash course on the tarot. How does it work? Okay, well, um, how does it work is a big question. <laughs> um, I have to, whenever someone asks me that, I'm reminded, did you ever see the comic um, Erwin Corey, Professor Erwin Corey, years ago? He would, he would come on in this sort of sloppy outfit, this, just like tuxedo and, um, and sneakers, and he would give this sort of rambling comical lecture. Goes, oh, yes, yes, yes. Now, yes, Johnny the sneakers. Leno, uh, yes, right? yes. Now yes. I remember. Yeah. And they were always primed. They would always say to him, why do you wear sneakers? And he would say, you ask a two-part question. Why is plagued philosophers through all time? And we wanted this for a minute or two. And he'd say, do I wear sneakers? Yes. <laughs> so when people say, how does the tarot work? I always want to say, you ask a two-part question. <laughs> because, I mean, those of us in the world of tarot, you know, we don't really have answers, and anyone that pretends to have an answer is kind of faking it, I think. People bring in, like, large theories. They talk about um, quantum physics and entangled particles and Carl Jung synchronicity. Um, but no one really knows what's going on, except that you, you take a bunch of random pictures, as you said, pictograms, and I was going to discuss it, actually, and um, mix them up. And somehow the pattern that they fall into is like a tiny reflection of the person's life issues. And sometimes, and sometimes it's general. So, you know, someone is asking about why she or he doesn't have a partner, and it goes into issues of, um, you know, loneliness and issues of parents having had a bad marriage, so there was a bad example. You know, this will all be true, but it won't be like a surgical precision. But then sometimes, especially when there's a real need, when it's a big issue for a person, the card that comes up will be unbelievably accurate. Right. It will be like the one card in the deck that really gives this person the message that they need to hear. And I just think that that's, you know, a phenomenal thing. Well, describe some of the the more common pictograms we're familiar with and and what they they mean. I mean, it's it's not like... uh, 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 Sigmund Freud said, you know, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Not so with the tarot, right? I mean, death is not death, necessarily. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, part of our quick quick five-minute tour would be a little history, which is that 
a lot of research has gone on in recent years, and it seems pretty definite that the tarot actually began as an allegorical game in northern Italy in the early part of the um, 15th century, like 1430 or so. Um, and using images that mostly people would recognize, like a pope, an emperor, and so on, but also some more mystical ones, like um, someone peering at the stars or um, to, you know, someone in the bright sunlight or someone flying through the sky. Very beautiful images. And they capture the imagination, but for a while they were used mostly as a game. And we don't have any real evidence of them being used for divination, but it seems impossible that they weren't. Because everything that is used for game is used for divination. Um, so, you know, anytime you have a pack of cards, people are going to start doing divination with it. And why 78 cards, Rachel? Why well, 78? because um, that's an interesting question. You know, it's a little hard to pinpoint how that happens. Um, but the thing that makes tarot special is it has an extra suit. So there are four suits. And in tarot, the suits have their old-fashioned names of um, wands, cups, swords, and coins, or sometimes today pentacles or discs. And... So they're almost the same as playing cards in the old decks. The modern decks all have pictures in every card. So in the modern decks, for example, um, the Four of Cups is likely to show someone sitting next to a tree and looking at three cups and looking kind of unhappy, and then there's a, another cup coming from a cloud. <coughs> Excuse me. In the older decks, it would just show four cups. So it would be pretty similar to playing cards. Um, there was an extra card in the suit called a knight. Um, instead of so instead of Jack, Queen, King, there'd be Jack or sometimes Page, Knight, Queen, King. But otherwise, they were like playing cards. So anyway, but what made Tower special was this extra 22 cards. These 22 cards are now called the Major Arcana, which means Arcana means secrets. Um, and these were the symbolic pictures. And just as a game, the idea seems to have been, um, if you want to play a game like Bridge, for like, you know, one suit is trump, which just means a triumph. It triumphs over the cards. It'd be more fun to have a permanent trump suit. And to have that suit be beautiful. And to have that suit be incredibly symbolic and rich and layered. You know? So that's what made the tarot tarot, those 22 cards. And over time, they became more and more deeply symbolic, more and more a kind of a spiritual lesson, and also, obviously, more and more available for interpretation. And then the um, so-called minor account of the four suits also became more available for interpretation, especially when 100 or so years ago, a deck came out called the Rider deck, which is the most famous tarot deck in the world, that had pictures on every card, like about that four cups they were telling you, about that man sitting next to the tree, and so on. So now you could actually look at the four cups, instead of having some automatic answer in your mind, Okay, what's going on in this picture? Well, someone seems unhappy. Is he unhappy? Is he bored? And a lot of tower readers will actually ask the client, when the card comes up, they'll say, look at this picture. What's this man doing? What's going on with this person? And this goes against the image that, you know, we've been taught of the completely psychic tower reader that we see on television who says everything. And the client never says anything. And but a lot of times in modern tarot, people will have the client interpret the picture to a certain extent. It's more interactive, right. Yeah. 
And because it just says a lot about the person, you know. There's a card called the Seven of Pentacles in that same writer deck, which shows a man leaning on a hoe. He's a gardener, and he's looking at a bush of some these sort of stars growing on it, you know. And people look at that, and one person will say, I always say to the people, you know, what is this man's attitude? And one person will say, well, he's really tired but happy his work is done for the day. The next person will say, well, it's morning, and he's looking at all the work he has to do, and he's horrified at how much work there is. <laughs> half, half full, so, half so empty. Tell you something, you know? Right. Rachel, listen, we've got the music uh, percolating up here, okay. we're gonna, which means we're uh, going to ease on into a break. You stay sure. put. We'll come back, and we'll continue to discuss tarot and divination okay. with an expert. Uh, well, we only bring you the best here on The Conspiracy Show. Rachel Pollack is with us. The book is 78 Degrees of Wisdom, Parts 1 and 2. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we're back, and we're learning about the tarot as a possible uh, tool of divination. Fascinating, a 78-card deck. And, of course, we're all familiar with uh, some of the major uh, pictograms, like... Uh, well, the juggler, uh, there's also the hanged man, which is kind of a misnomer. Uh, explain what the hanged man looks like, because it's not what we, you know, the image that we conjure up is, you know, someone on the end of a noose. It's not that at all, is it, Rachel? No, no. It's a man who's tied by one leg, so he's upside down. And he's tied to just like a, kind of like a T-shaped um, thing. Well, actually, it's like a, whatever, it's just, you know, tied to a crossbar. Um, so it's not a noose at all. And he's tied by his ankle, and then his hands are behind his back. Um, we don't know if they're tied or not, but he just be behind his back. And the other leg, the leg that's not tied, is crossing the leg that is tied. So it's like, like a figure four, um, which is like you know, you know, a man standing on one foot with his other foot crossed behind his knee. And the zipper is upside down. And it's a very interesting card because um, some people find it a card of being stuck, having to sacrifice something. They find it very dire, but I find it very beautiful because in the deck I use the most, um, his face is filled with golden light. So it's a kind of it's kind of initiation, it's attachment to your own deepest values. I often think of, I often imagine a kind of intervention, you know. So there he is, he's hiding from his tree, and his face is filled with beautiful light, for he's having visions or something, and his friends come and they say. You really should come down from that tree. That's not a good thing to be doing. You should go back to work. <laughs> and he says, well, thank you very much for sharing, um, because he's beyond criticism. So it can mean your own values, doing what you know, you know is best, believing in yourself. Um, sometimes it can mean you have to do nothing for a while. You have to just let things develop, because there's nothing you can do for now. And I don't know if you know the Chinese... Um, and Japanese divination system, the I Ching, yes, yes. which often tells you to do nothing. It just says it's not the moment for action. Just don't do anything. Don't do anything. Yes, yeah, I'm all I about the I Ching. Like <laughs> I imagine be saying, you know, do nothing at the moment because there's nothing that can be done. Just wait. Yes. Now, now the death card, uh, it, it rarely or probably never indicates physical death, correct? Well, sometimes it does. Uh, but, you know, it, it does where death is in the air in a certain sense. So, for instance, you know, I did a reading once um, for, you know, someone who had a relative in, a, in an old age home and, or, who's near to death. A death card came up, so it was pretty clear. I was you know, addressing the issue of this person's final days. 
Um, the fascinating reading I did once, they did a reading for a Swedish man who was doing AIDS research. And um, one of the key cards they reading was death, was called reverse, which the card comes up upside down. So it was literally saying the possibility of this research reversing death from AIDS. It was, um, I never found out what came of it, you know, but I hope that he was part of the, you know, the medicine that really has helped a lot of people. But it would be, I would, I would guess that it would be irresponsible uh, for a tarot card reader to pull up the death card and then suggest to the person who's having the reading that, you know, they may be dying or have some well, physical ailment. Well, you see, normally I would never do that because it's just, that's taking too much responsibility. Right, exactly. You know? Um, you know, sometimes you feel like you just have to because there's so much else that's supporting it, you know. There's a card that looks like a funeral and so on. But the death card normally, really, though, it just means the end of something. And what and is it the... means the end of something that you really should let go of. Right. You know? Change. Like a bad marriage, a job that's a dead-end job. So it's really kind of telling you a message. It's saying, look, you know, what you're doing now isn't helping you. It'd be better if you just let go of it. What about the devil card, Rachel? That's fascinating. The devil card's really interesting, you know, because it can mean a lot of things. One of its meanings is addiction. Um... So but if it comes with other cards, you know, there's, a, there's all this, there's a suit called Cups. And sometimes if the devil comes next to the King of Cups, I might say to someone, is there any question of alcohol in the situation, you know? Um, but, you know, the devil card means to be trapped in some way. It means to feel like you have no choice in life, you know? And it's an illusion. It's a fake. Because the people in it are chained around their neck, but the chains are big enough that they can take them off and walk away. So with the devil card, you have to look beyond it. You have to say, okay, I may be feeling trapped in life. I may feel everything is dark, but that's a mistake. You know, there's, there's things I'm not seeing. Then you look at other cards and say, well, what are you not seeing? What can you be looking at? What will take you beyond this devil, you know? So the, the effectiveness uh, or the quality of a tarot card reading is really dependent on the person who's interpreting the tarot. How, do you, how does one learn to do that? Well... To me, it was I just started doing it. I got a deck of cards in 1970, and I got this little book that came, but didn't come with it, but I got the book in the same store. Um, and I would, you know, learn how to, gave instruction, I'd do a reading, and I just started doing readings. I'd put a card down, I'd look it up in the book, but then I would sort of like, you know, make connections, take off from there, maybe make up a story about it. But the, some of those readings were phenomenal, you know? I knew nothing, basically. And yet, I discovered, for instance, all my friends were having affairs. <laughs> it was, Seriously? It was really embarrassing at times, you know? You discovered that your friends were having affairs through the tarot. Yeah, yeah. So some married friend of mine said, oh, can you read my tarot cards? And I'd say, sure. I'd put the cards out, and there it would be. It would be so obvious this person was having an affair. And then we would talk about it, and, uh, you know, they would say, yes, that's true. That's what's going on, you know? Well, what was the card that came up that convinced you? It usually be a combination of cards, you know? Um, it might be like a card that, you know, a marriage card, say, upside down. It might be a card that means a new relationship, um, a new lover. There's actually a card now, modern tarot use, called the Seven of Swords, which shows a guy tiptoeing away from a tent, having seemingly stolen a bunch of swords, and he's, like, looking back smirking. And a lot of people now see that as the card that signals someone's having an affair, um, that specific card. But so, you know, I did that. I also helped two people... Um, evade a lawsuit they would have lost because it's a long story so I won't go into it but they had worked for a boss who was harassing them two women 
and he really was beyond the pale. And so they quit because they couldn't take it anymore, and they were thinking of suing him. And um, he was a red-haired man. And I did a reading for them, and the justice card came up upside down, which can mean that justice is not going to happen. And then the next card was the Five of Swords, which shows a red-haired man defeating two people. So I said to them, well, it's your choice. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But the cards are saying, if you go ahead, you're going to lose. Justice will not be done. You will lose. And six months later, the next two women sued him for the same kind of you know, practices. And the judge was his buddy, and he was thrown out of court. Wow. Um, and since he was actually, it was actually a federal agency, so it would have been the same judge. Whoever sued him got the same judge. That's remarkable. Yeah. R- Rachel so Pollock is with us. People, uh, you know, lawsuit. Rachel Pollock, world-renowned expert on the tarot and author of 78 Degrees of Wisdom, which is described around the world as the Bible of tarot readers. At what point did this become not just a, a diversion uh, for you, Rachel, when you actually believed that tarot is, it works. It, mm. it, it's a useful tool for divination. Well, pretty early on when I started, like, really helping my friends, you know, see things and understand things and found it, you know, helped me too to guide me in certain choices and things. Um, it just seems so... From the moment I saw it, it was this amazing experience, actually. Um, I was teaching at a college, um, well, this was 19, early 1970, and this teacher said, oh, would you like your tarot cards read? I said, okay, sure. I knew nothing about it. And as soon as I saw them, I just thought, I have to have this. This is amazing. I, you know, I remember nothing of what she said about the reading. So it wasn't the reading, it was the cards themselves. They just called to me with this really powerful kind of message. Well, ad- admittedly, I mean, the, the pictograms are uh, provocative and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, impressionistic, yeah. which is obviously the whole, the whole point to it. They have to be impressionistic. Uh, but they're also uh, quite beautiful. And, and I didn't realize that, that you can have sort of individual personalized tarots made. And, and um, you wrote the text for the tarot cards for Salvador Dali? And not exactly. I wrote a book about it after they came out. Okay. Uh, I was commissioned by a publisher. Um, unfortunately, I, you know, I tried to reach Dolly for comments, but he was too old and frail at that point. Um, that was fascinating work, though, because it was, you know, it was so interesting how he did it and how he chose the pictures. Um, so I've actually, but I also have written, um, I collaborated with a German artist named Hermann Heindel, who's a brilliant artist. And yes. He had done most of his pictures, but then by the time I met him, he was not, not finished. So I got to have some influence on some of the later pictures. And we worked together very, very intensely. We spent weeks going over every picture. So he would do his version of the death card or his version of the devil. Or I I would love to see Salvador Dali's deck. That must be absolutely wild. You know, online, I'm sure. Must be wild. It's quite expensive. Um, And the book I did is probably more expensive now because it's very rare. It's not a lot of copies around. 78 Degrees of Wisdom, Parts 1 and 2. I mean, that has become as I say, the Bible uh, uh, for tarot readers. Mm. Yeah, that's something I've heard all over, from people all over the world. They're just not, you know, not copying each other. People just say to me, oh, I just think of this as a Bible of tarot readers. I heard that from store owners. I've heard that from just people who bought the book. I've heard that from professional tarot readers, you know. It's just that uh, that book's had a huge impact, actually. It's very, How you know, do it's you... very special for me to have written something that's had that 
such a gigantic impact in a, in a community that's important to me. How, how do you use the tarot for you personally in everyday life? I mean, uh, do you make all of your decisions based on the tarot? Oh, no. Some, no? no, not at all. How no. does it work for you? Yeah. In fact, sometimes I'll avoid using it. I have to make, say, you know, a serious medical decision because then I just might scare myself, you know? Right, right. Um, you know, we talked about the death card, not meaning death, but if, you have, if you're facing a medical issue, the death card comes up, you kind of freak out. So, no, but I mean, what I'll do often, though, is I'll just do three cards for the day and see what shows up, you know? I don't want to put you on the spot here, but maybe after the we'll be heading into a break in about four or five minutes. Do you have a tarot handy? Sure. Just yeah. maybe it might be useful. I don't want to be you know too self indulgent here, but it might be useful just as a demonstration for those not familiar with tarot. Could we do a few cards for me? We can. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more difficult. It would be good if you had a deck, but we can do them you know connection over the phone like this over the radio. Oh, traditionally, both the the person. Well, traditionally, the person getting the reading shuffles the deck. Right. So it's his energy. But I've done it this way before, and it's worked really well. All right. Why don't we do that okay, uh, in, in a few moments? Rachel okay. Pollock is with us, the author of Seventy Eight Degrees of Wisdom, of parts uh, one and two. Throughout history, you know, we know that uh, certain world leaders were very interested in uh, the occult. Uh, do, do you know of any? world leaders uh, from history or even currently who, who are, are, are big fans of the tarot? You know, I don't offhand, but I think that that's partly because tarot's always had a bit of an unsavory reputation, and I think they wouldn't want to admit it. Why is that? Why does it have an unsavory reputation? I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I think because it's, it's... You know, if you think of astrology, astrology is about the planets and stars. People understand that, so that makes sense to them. But if you think of just a bunch of, you know sort of bright pictures on cards telling you something meaningful about your life, it's a bit scary. And then somehow, some strange ideas have come up about the tarot over the years, you know? Um, including the idea they come from the devil, maybe because there's a picture called the devil, but they're actually very Christian. And that's why there's a devil, because devil is an important uh, issue. Now, that's interesting, because I was going to ask you whether there's, you know, if anyone is of the Christian persuasion, whether they should be uh, avoiding the tarot. But you're saying the roots of tarot Mm -hmm. are in part Christian. Tell me more about that. Well, because those 14th century, like 15th century symbols were um, Christian symbols. You know, there's like um, the Last Judgment, which the dead rise up. Um, There's a pope. There's a, they're usually called a female pope with a high priestess, but she also could be like, you know, an abbess from a nunnery. So it's a very Christian kind of set of images. Um, and somehow, though, the ideas developed, I'm not sure from where, that it's actually it is some, something satanic, but there's no evidence of that whatsoever. Um, and I think it's, it's also, some people just have a fear of divination, the idea that somehow you can tell, learn about the future is very scary to people. Well, the, I mean, the, the Bible does sort of warn against that, doesn't it? Yes, it does, but it also has diviners, you know. Joseph, um, the son of Jacob in the, in the, in the Old Testament, um, is a diviner. That's one of his main things in life. Um, and he's called that. He's very specific. Now, he doesn't just interpret dreams. He also uses a cup. He divines by looking in a cup. And then there's Daniel, who interprets dreams, and so on. So it's actually, you know, it's a mixed message. And the prophets, of course, predict the future, too. So the question, I'm, I'm Jewish, and I think of it as, you know, how the Jews look at it. 
And the Jewish point of view is that it's not a matter of um, whether projection is true or not. It's a matter of whether it's spiritually beneficial. And so as a tarot reader, and most tarot readers I know have the same attitude, you know, we're, we're very concerned that whatever we tell somebody is of their benefit. That it helps them, at this moment, helps them in their path on life. It frees them rather than restricts them. These are important, you know, these are important values. Uh, is there a connection, you mentioned you're, you, that, that you're a Jew, is there a connection between uh, the tarot and the, Kab- the Kabbalah? Well, this is a very big thing that's gone on for quite some time now, about a couple hundred years. There's probably no historical evidence that the Kabbalah was the inspiration for the tarot. But... If you think of how it just fits so perfectly, because in Kabbalah, everything is about the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and there were 22 of these so-called major arcana cards. Then also in Kabbalah, there's the Tree of Life, which has 10 positions on it. Then you have the Suth, which has 10 positions, or, you know, 8 through 10. And then there's also in Kabbalah um, the four-letter name of the divine, the most sacred name in the Bible, and then there are four court cards. Um, so it just all fits together so perfectly. It almost seems impossible that it's not connected, you know. But this, this, this way of looking at it developed over the last 200 years. And now it's completely entwined in the tarot. All right, Rachel, stay put. We'll uh, take sure. a time out, come yeah. back. We'll open up the phone lines, questions or comments regarding the tarot. We've got the world-renowned expert right here for you, Rachel Pollack is the author of 78 Degrees of Wisdom, Parts 1 and 2, and uh, about a dozen other books regarding the tarot. Back with more, including my own tarot reading, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Next week on The Conspiracy Show, award-winning documentary filmmaker, best-selling author Rob Skiba discusses aliens in the Bible. We'll delve into who or what is an archon. Who are the Nephilim? How did they return both before and after the flood? Who are the sons of Anak and where did they come from? How tall were the giants the Hebrew spies saw that made them feel like grasshoppers by comparison? Why should we be concerned about the act of mixing animal and human DNA? And why did Jesus say that the last days would be like the days of Noah? That's Rob Skiba right here on The Conspiracy Show uh, next week. Right now, we are continuing our discussion uh, about the tarot with Rachel Pollock, author of uh, about a dozen books on the tarot. And uh, she, of course, is a world-renowned expert and the author of 78 Degrees of Wisdom, which is described around the world as the Bible of tarot readers. All right, uh, Ra- Rachel, here's where I get a little self-indulgent, and we're sure. going to do a little uh, of, of my uh, tarot reading here. Okay. So how do we begin this? How does this happen? Well, the first thing is you have a question. Is there an issue that you want to look at? All right. Um, let's, uh, let's see. Uh, how about, uh, well, finances are always an issue. Uh, so, you know, how, how, how do you see my financial situation uh, unfolding over the next uh, year? Okay, so I've mixed the cards um, during the break, and I'm going to cut them into three piles and then put them back together again with the bottom pile on top is the traditional method. Okay, there's um, a face down. And we'll see what we get. Okay, okay. so let's do three cards to start. Hmm. The Four of Wands, which is a very joyous card. The Ten of Swords, which is an unhappy card. Hmm. Um, and the Page of Pentacles. So what I'm seeing here is the Four of Wands looks like 
everything is great, you know, celebration, joy, happiness. But then something goes wrong. Um, the Ten of Swords is a setback. It's a setback that you, you worry too much about. Um, the Ten of Swords is a very extreme picture. It's a, it's a man with ten swords stuck in his back. But often it means <laughs> hey, I work in radio. I'm used to that. Yeah. <laughs> but often it means hysteria rather than actual harm. Okay. You know, I, I don't exaggerate, but just, you know, worry, over-worry. That's me. Yeah. So after that, those two extremes of, like, everything going wonderfully, and then suddenly, like, there's some setback, right. we get a card called the Page of Pentacles, and pentacles are often about money. So that's like, you know, stepping back, looking at things, um, maybe being a bit more cautious of investments. Let me see what comes after that. Um, and then the Eight of Pentacles, which is working hard, so it may be that some investment um, doesn't work out, and you take a fresh look, and then you have to build up, you know, your portfolio, or whatever. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just working hard at it and getting somewhere. And then the Emperor card comes up. It's also number four, like the first four of wands. That's like getting back in control. So that's like, you know, by not letting that setback throw you, you work hard, and you're back in control, and you know, really. Um, back in charge of things. And then one more card, so it's like 3-2-1, is a card called Temperance, which shows an angel pouring water from one cup to another. And it's the card that comes after death, so it's a kind of like rebirth card. Um, so it's a 14, 4 is connected to the 4 is the Emperor, this is 14. And um, Temperance is about being very balanced and steady. So it says that, like, you know, after whatever that setback was, after the fight to get back control of everything and feeling strong again, you learn the lesson of not going to, not going to extremes. Temperance is like the middle way. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, very telling because I do, uh, I, I think I would, I think it's safe to say I have general anxiety about most things. Uh, and so, yeah, perhaps it's telling me i got to step back and relax a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and everything will turn out well in the end. Uh, is that uh, a fair well, yeah, summation? Yeah, what I'd say is I would caution you against over-optimism and then over-pessimism. Because those first two cards, they like swing wildly. Right. The four of uh, wands says, oh, everything is just perfect. Everything is wonderful. And there's ten of shorts. Everything is a disaster. So then it becomes a message question of stepping back, looking at what the reality is, working hard, getting back control of everything, and then just settling down. And typically when you do a tarot reading, how many, car, how many, how, how many cards deep do you go? I mean, you went, what, about a half dozen cards there with me? Um, yeah. I just did a 3-2-1 pattern. A 3-2-1 pattern. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, three cards and two, then one. Just, that's just the way it came out. Because it seemed like there was another step to be taken at each point, you know? Right, right. But I'll do, uh, you know, um, there's a reading I tend to do. It's a very famous one called the Celtic Cross. The Celtic which Cross. Which has ten cards. Ten cards, okay. So what I do is I'll often start out with that, but before I do the reading, I'll have a discussion with the person about their issues. Um, you know, if you come to me, we might go into more of a discussion about your finances and more, you know, detailed stuff. And I would write down everything you say. Well, this was this was very instructive. I, I think it was useful doing this uh, this demonstration, and yeah. uh, I certainly have some takeaways, some things to think about. Rachel uh, Stapleton will uh, continue our sure. discussion. Rachel Pollock is the author of 36 books of fiction and nonfiction, including two award-winning novels, and of course, 78 Degrees of Wisdom, a world-renowned expert on the tarot.
I'm back with more of my conversation with Rachel right here on The Conspiracy Show, and perhaps we'll have time to work in a call or two. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Rachel Pollack stays with us as we discuss the tarot and uh, receiving some emails here, Rachel. And okay. Beth in Aurora wants to know whether a tarot deck has to, be give, has to be given to me before I can work with it. No, I don't know where that idea came from either. You know, some people say give it or you have to steal it, which is a really weird idea. I was once told um, by a tarot publisher that bookstores kept tarot decks under lock and key because people believed they were supposed to steal it. You know, it's like Abby Hoffman's book, Steal This Book. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but um, the fact is that, you know, I bought my first tarot deck and most of the other ones I had. So I had about 600 tarot decks and I bought all of them pretty much. Well, actually, some of them were gifts. But anyway, no, no, you don't have to wait for someone to give it to you. All right. And now we have uh, someone, I think it's Genevieve, uh, Genevieve in Buffalo is asking about, now I don't understand this, uh, but I've come to the right person, something about a switch of the 8th and 11th card. Uh, the old decks, yeah. the 8th card is justice, the 11th card is strength, and now in many in many modern decks, mm-hmm. the order has been reversed. Right, and, yeah. What happened with that is, uh, I don't want to go into all the details of it, but it had to do with um, a group of people who were very dedicated to the study of tarot, and they wanted to link it to astrology. And it made more sense to have the eighth card, Strength, which shows a woman taming a lion, be Leo. And the eleventh card, Justice, which I think is Virgo, something like that, I'm not sure, might be wrong about that. Um, but the point is, it was just the way the order of things fell in the, um, you know, constellations and planets in astrology. But I actually find it extremely meaningful, because the eleven is the middle point of the deck. So to me, having Justice at the exact center is very meaningful and important. It says that, you know, you have, this is the point to which you have to balance everything. You have to balance the scales so you can't go further in life. I think that's an important message, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. But I have to tell you something. Uh, I was thinking about this emperor card that came out in your reading. Um, I was in a bookstore once uh, giving a talk about tarot, and, you know, people wanted, like, quick one-card readings. So is that the possible? The said, um, what can we do to improve the city that she was in, um, the city of Newburgh, New York, which was having some tough times. So there was one card, it was the emperor. And so I jokingly said to her, you have to take over the city. You have to become the emperor of Newburgh. <laughs> and afterwards, someone said to me, um, you know that she's running for mayor? There you are. Did she win? <laughs> I just thought that was wonderful. Did she win? No, unfortunately not. Mm. But... Um, so, I mean, the cards say if she had one, if she had become <laughs> emperor, the mayor, then she could have improved things. Yeah. Uh, William is in Aurora, just north of Toronto, and he wants to know, is there a code of ethics for tarot card readers? Some people make their own. There's um, the, some various you know, tarot associations and tarot guilds do put together a code of ethics. Some of them say you should do your own code of ethics and you know, display it. But in general, most tarot readers agree on a whole bunch of things that you don't manipulate, you don't lie. You don't do like you know con artist kind of tricks. Um, you don't you don't take over someone's life. You don't scare people. You know the basic ethical position of most tarot readers that I know at least 
is that you try to be helpful. You try to help people move forward in their lives rather than take over their lives in some way. Do you think tarot can predict the future? Well, it's you know, it certainly has in certain situations. I wouldn't say I wouldn't bet on it. If you see what I mean? You know. And so, if somebody comes to me with a question about the future that's really important, like for instance, whether or not to have a surgery, you know, I would say to this person, you should never make a decision based on a tarot reading like that. Um, but here's what the tarot says. So I, I will say what the tarot says, but I'll say to them, you know. You need to speak to doctors. You need to, you know, do your research. You should never let any kind of divination be your only way that you make a decision. And can you do tarot on yourself, or should you have someone else do it? It took me a while to be able to do that, but now I do it all the time for myself. So there's not a rule about it. It's a little difficult because you, you know, you tend to give yourself simplistic answers. You tend to panic more easily. You tend to think everything is perfect more easily. Um, but after you've been doing it for a while, you, you know, everybody does tarot for themselves. What makes a good tarot reader? I think it's someone that has the ability to respond to images and to intuition. Is that a right brain, left brain Well, skill? I guess it's a, primarily, I guess, right brain, left side of the body, you know, intuitive side, you know. But it's also the creative side. I'm not sure what part of the brain is the creative side. Because basically, a tarot reading is like a story. You know, you're inspired by the pictures and by your intuition and by what the person is asking about. All these things come together to produce a kind of um, story of the person's life that the person, you know, will find meaningful, hopefully. Uh, what about these? Uh, I understand that there are tarot computer programs. Do they mm-hmm. actually work? Or how do they work? I'm, you know, I'm, I personally like the feeling of human beings touching the physical cards. <laughs> but the way they work is there's a randomizing algorithm. So, you know, you, you click on it, and then it goes blip, 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 and brings up, say, three cards, which have been chosen supposedly at random, even though some, you know, some people say there's no such thing as random. But it's more or less random, you know. Um, and then there's an official interpretation that the person who made the program has written for each card. And some of the better ones will have the meaning in terms of love, the meaning in terms of finances, the meaning in terms of work, the meaning in terms of spiritual path, and so on. But what they can't do is combine them. You know, the way I did the reading for you, in which I combined the pictures. Right, right. You know, yes. Because, you know, you, there are 78 cards. You can just imagine the millions of possible combinations. So that's the limit of computer programs. But also I just feel there's something about the human connection that's very meaningful. Absolutely, absolutely. Is there, uh, I mean, these, some of these cards have numbers, mm-hmm. uh, but is there, are you employing numerology in combination with tarot, or do, do the numbers, is it something quite apart and different from numerology? Tarot has its own numerology to some extent. It's a little different than what we call, call classical numerology. A friend of mine, uh, who's also a tarotist, is a numerology person. She knows it very much more than me. But one thing I picked up, you know, studying with her and learning with her, is that the, it doesn't quite match. The numbers aren't quite the same, you know? So you have to kind of get into the tarot numbers. And do you find that people that are into tarot, are they also into things like classical numerology, uh, astrology? A lot of them are, not all, yeah. How about you? Um, I, you know, I've picked up things on astrology from friends, so I know a fair amount of it, but I'm not an astrologer. I wouldn't, I've not, 
to me, what I love about the tarot, as compared to both astrology and numerology, is it's not fixed. You know, if you do your birth chart, it's always going to be that birth chart, because you were born at a certain point, right? Right. And then you can progress it up to the present, as they say. You have your astrological chart for this present moment, but that's still not going to change until, you know, the moment changes. Whereas in tarot, it's very fluid. You know, you do another reading, you get a different point of view. And I like that constant fluidity that the tarot has. Um, so, and also, to be honest, um, I'm not someone who likes memorizing lots of things. And in numerology and astrology, you have to memorize a lot. <laughs> so, tarot, to me, is more intuitive. I mean, I know all my astrology friends and numerology friends are going to be screaming at me for saying that because... I'm sure that you know numerology is very intuitive. Well, I know it is from friends of mine. You know, tell me about the way it feels to me. You, Rachel, you're a member of the Tarot Guild of Australia. I, I never would have imagined that, <laughs> that, that there is an actual guild. Tell me about that. Well, what is the Tarot Guild? A great group of people. I've, I've been to Australia four times. I think it is. I'm going again in February. Um, and it's always from the guild. They just sponsor me to come and teach. And um, what they did was it was really started by two women. I guess in the 90s, and they decided they were both professional tarot readers. They decided they wanted to, you know, raise tarot to a higher level. And so they started gathering other professional people, people wanted to learn. They set up a system of learning. And they, they have a code of ethics that people are expected to agree to and to post in their consulting room. Um, one thing I liked about them when I was, you know, learning about their way of doing things was that um, you had to take a test to show your you know, your level of expertise after you'd been studying for a while with a teacher. But you could choose your approach. So, for instance, if you if your approach was all about tarot and Kabbalah, that's what your test would be about. If it was about tarot and astrology, your test would be about that. And um, But, you know, so they just allowed people to follow their own path, but then they had to show that they were at a professional level. And it's still going. It's been going for a um, long time now. And they made me an honorary member because I came to their first, uh, they had the first international tarot conference in the world, actually, uh, early 90s. And I was an invited guest, and they made me an honorary member of the Guild, which I think is wonderful. And I, you know, I continue to have contact with them. Like I said, I'm going back for my fifth visit, and I'm in February. So, which I'm very excited about because I always wanted an, um, our summer, their winter. It was not very cold, so it wasn't too bad. Christmas you know? on the beach. But, but now I'm going to be going from like 10 degrees here to Fahrenheit to 90 degrees in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> there you go. It's going to be an amazing experience. I'm really wondering what that will be like. Rachel, final question, and uh, you know, this is obviously we're running out of time here, but are you any closer after all these years to figuring out what is at work with, with uh, tarot? I mean, is it, are you in contact with the divine? How does this work? Well, you know, I think it's really hard to be a tarot reader for a long time and not feel there is some kind of spiritual or divine energy that allows these cards to fall in such meaningful ways. And like I said, sometimes it's, you know, general advice or something that's worthwhile, but sometimes it's unbelievable, you know. I've seen, I've seen, I've been readings for people which have changed their lives, quite literally. Um, you know, I did a reading for someone that's very... Well, line of Sager from being locked in a madhouse because of something her husband was doing. Um, I did a reading for someone that, you know, 
I can't go into too many details, but I mean, one time I did a reading for a woman in London um, where I was reading in a shop, and she had a reading and was very powerful. And then um, a friend of hers came for a reading a little later in the day and said that um, this woman wanted me to know this was the most important day of her life. Because the reading had unlocked something that was so deep in her, that was so powerful, that it blocked her whole life. And then the reading just, you know, let her see what it was. That's remarkable. Very gratifying. Yeah, yeah it was, you know, it's wonderful to have those experiences. Rachel, thank you for this. Thank you. I enjoyed yeah, talking great, with great you. Time. Thank you very much. RachelPollock.com is the website. RachelPollock.com. My thanks to uh, Tim Spreen for technical production. My story producer is Albert Vinzel. Back next week. Hope you'll be aboard for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.